The freedom to vote is fundamental to all of our freedoms. Following the 2020 elections in which more Americans voted than ever before in the middle of a public health crisis, we have seen unprecedented attacks on our democracy in states across the country. These strategies in state after state are to make it harder to vote and easier to cheat. Well, I'll tell you what this bill does that we're talking about today, the Freedom to Vote bill, it makes it easier to vote and harder to cheat. This bill will set a baseline of protections for voters across the country with common sense, proven reforms that have already been successfully implemented in blue and red states across the country. It's about ensuring that these mass efforts at disenfranchisement that that reach their most vivid flowering in the violent attack on our capital don't occur. And that people have the ability to get access to a ballot and to have confidence that their ballot will be counted with integrity. Shame on us if we allow the people's voices to be silenced in this chamber. Voting rights are preservative of all other rights. And right now, the right to vote is under attack our democracy is in a 9-1-1 emergency. We must act now. And I think it's very important that we keep promoting the committee and the findings of the committee and get that out there because we need to fight for the truth and do some counter propaganda against those propagandists who are spreading lies and disinformation. But at the same time, I think we need to be critical of the propaganda or the messaging that we get as well, because I think that plays off against each other. I think it ends up causing more division. And that's what it's intended to do on both sides. So I think we need to become more aware of how media and messaging, which is, quote, which is propaganda, it affects us. Reporting, a D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser first called Army Secretary Ryan McCarthy to ask for help at 1.34 p.m. It looks now like the Capitol the police... Yeah, uh, Pete, let me break away from you a second because things are happening very quickly. According to your written testimony, you were, quote, aware that demonstrators had breached the Capitol. Peggy, um, we haven't heard from you in a while. Go ahead. Unmute yourself and, and go ahead. Yes, I don't think we need to do propaganda. I think we need to do the truth sandwich where we tell the truth, we call out the villains, and then we tell the truth again. That is, prop that is counter propaganda. 
No, it's truth telling. Yeah, but propaganda can be true as well. Oftentimes it's half true. That's a lot of what it is. And also, also there's good propaganda. So I have a broader definition, not a negative definition of okay. propaganda. Yeah. Thank you for clarifying. Yeah. Thank you, Peggy. Thank you. Um, go ahead, John. You've been waiting. Okay. Uh, I, I, the public is not being subjected. General public is, is really almost unaware of the propaganda that's being put out by this, the Q-tards, okay? Because they've been kicked off the regular internet media. And so they've actually got servers so they couldn't get shut down. Uh, they're now on programs like Gab and uh, there's one that's called something like Living Room or something. And then they have one other. And these are their own networks. So we have their, our own networks going out. And you got to realize there are a lot of very unhappy, less fortunate and totally unfortunate people that this is what they are, basically what uh, the Q and Republican Party is doing through the Q is saying the government is corrupt. They're not going in accordance to the Constitution according to their thinking. And so we're justified in doing what we're doing. And it's very insidious. It's very, or they're talking about a takeover, disband, basically disbanding the constitution and rewriting it the way they want. Uh, and by the way, the religion, the religion is heavily into it. Matter of fact, they have a uh, name for the new religion. It's, and they're, you know, I, I asked them one time, I said, what about medical, me medical care? And they went, uh, she, you know, the person represents them said, they won't need it. And I said, why not? He says, because they'll all be healthy. And I go, how are they going to do that? They're all going to, we're no longer going to be eating GMO foods and we're all going to exercise. And I asked her, are we talking like, uh, you know, all the troops lined up in Red Square doing jumping jacks? And basically, yeah, that's mm -hmm. what you, uh, the public is not aware how dangerously red and Republican Party is as a piece in their little pie. Very good. Thank you, John. So when I say propaganda, I think it's important for us to realize that even though it may be messaging, it may be half true, some of it may be true, but let's recognize and respect the power because it's everywhere. Advertising, media, news, it's everywhere. It's everything we use to make sense of the world and being critical about it is important. Thank you, Timothy. Go ahead, Rachel. Okay, there we go. Thank you, John, for answering my text about saving and protecting our military from um, the people trying to brainwash them and make them into certain QAnon and Oath Keepers. It's very scary when I was looking at everything and then all the people that we found out that were high-ranking military officers. So if Biden doesn't do it, can we, can we kind of put some kind of fire under our generals to make the troops retake the oath? That's an interesting question. I don't really know the answer to that. But I think it's important for us to take their oath seriously. And some of the Republicans did take their oath seriously. Hence, even to some extent, Barr, Millie, of course. I mean, and they were examples that Millie went out and gave speeches. Barr said, there's no evidence of election fraud. So 
we have people who take their oath seriously. I'd like to see children be educated about how to recognize unhealthy personalities or toxic people and not to put them in office. I think we have narcissism rampant and it's yeah, all I the was way up. Proud of Barr for that. He did resign appropriately. I was very proud of him at the end, no matter how I differed in philosophy than him, but I was so proud of him to get out when he did. I wish Pence would have, because I would have voted for Pence if he ran for president. I would have. I really mm. liked it, him, but he disappointed me, like uh, Trump would say, idly. <laughs> right. Did. Yeah. I mean, Pence, he is a politician first in my mind, and he was just trying to do what his boss wanted him to do couldn't bring himself to do it because he knew it was unlawful and wrong. But other times I wish they would have said different things that then they told the truth. Like when Millie stood up and told the truth, Barr did stand up and tell the truth, but other times they would parrot what Trump said. And so it was a complicated situation. Go ahead, Lisa. Thank you, Rachel. Yeah, it is a complicated situation. And I think with some of those guys, um, when it comes to telling the truth, I'm glad they finally stood up and did the right thing. But I kind of still struggle because we might not have gotten to this point if they had done the right thing sooner. So they kind of like they kind of rationalized the escalation as it kept getting worse and worse. And in doing so enabled it. You know, it's kind of like, yeah, I did the right thing. And even Pence was trying to find every way around not doing the right thing. So I kind of I don't want to give them too much credit because, you know, it's kind of like if you if you notice somebody who's out of control and a serial killer and somebody who's doing worse and worse and worse, worse and worse stuff and you keep your mouth shut till they finally do something horrific. And then you say, wait a second. I still question the judgment and the character of the people for letting it get so bad. The other thing is, as when it comes to propaganda, you know, there's bias. And a lot of times we use these words kind of loosely, kind of switching gears a little bit, but there's bias and there's propaganda. You know, bias can just be selecting what stories you choose to tell, like, uh, you know, you, you choose to show and things like that. And there's bias, there's bias in everything. There's a difference between propaganda and that's with the end in mind. And that's what we've seen like right wing, a lot of right wing media shift to more than anything else, because their start, the tail's wagging the dog. I don't know if you're paying attention to right wing media during the Trump administration. There were times Trump would say something. I could tell he was going to change his mind by just watching a little bit of right wing media and what they were saying. And then sure enough, he would change his mind because he would get blowback from them. And so they, a lot of times, were setting policy more so than other people. It was kind of crazy, as a matter of fact. So we have a situation in which right-wing media is influencing public opinion, and that's driving policy and politicians. And that doesn't seem to be happening on the corporate side. I don't want to say left-wing media, because when it comes to the other media, like CNN, it's really corporate media and about ratings. But so they they handle everything like a car chase and a fight, you know, so there may be some bias in there, but I'm not if there's a bias, it's a corporate bias and to protect their corporate donors and their corporate positions and stuff in general, 
not all the time, but in general, in my opinion. So that's it. Sorry. All right. That's it. That's a good point, um, Lisa. I want to go back to the religion question, but as far as propaganda, I think we need to look at propaganda in this way. You have right-wing propaganda with intentions, right? With intentions. And we judge the propaganda by its effect, not necessarily always by its content. What's the intended effect can often be determined by the actual effect of what it has. And one of those effects is to draw battle lines. So let's talk about religion now, okay? We know that propaganda, that they've been disseminating propaganda to religious people for a long time already. Well, on the left, there's been a lot of anti-religious propaganda. Christianity is a broad spectrum of people. It's not just one narrow group. Yes, you've got the evangelicals. These are people who just believe what they're told sometimes. And they are being manipulated. But when the, when the left starts issuing, oh, this terrible threat of Christian nationalism, oh, religious people, you know, just decide to have a bigotry against religious people that they, their beliefs don't make any sense and they lead to ultimately lead to conservative responses. The Bible is not trustworthy. It's not worthy of any discussion. In fact, let's suppress discussion of faith in on the left. You can't bring it up. You can't talk about how God wants us to love the love our enemies, feed the hungry, lift up the lowly, bring down the powerful. That once you start talking about, hey, Let's use religious propaganda, religious messaging to reach out to the center of the country and to support our liberal progressive ideals, such as what liberation theologians have done and other and mainline and liberal denominations. There's tons of liberal denominations that come right out of the Reformation. So when we start setting up the religion or specifically Christianity as the boogeyman, as opposed to recognizing that these are just people being fed propaganda, we're feeding that propaganda because they're going to respond in a way that's defensive if you start criticizing and really killing Christianity and not using. I mean, this is a common thing. The Bible is common to everyone. The way to counteract religious bigotry or religious propaganda is to know the Bible better than they do. And we do know the Bible better than we do. We knew it says to feed the hungry. We knew it says to lift up the lowly. We know it says to love your enemies, to love your neighbors, to welcome the stranger, to treat the foreigner as one native born. We may not know that one, but that's in the Bible too. Uh, there's a lot in the Bible that can be used to, to lift up, but we have this concept that somehow religion is evil, apolitical. We have this apolitical religion. And what that is, is that's a personal religion, right? We think that religion is supposed to be about our personal beliefs, right? But that's just feeding right back into the conservatives who say, this is about personal salvation. It's not about personal. It's about community, the interest of the community. It's about the common good. It's about supporting 
others. It's about loving your neighbors, which means to provide for them, loving your enemies, which means to provide for them, food, clothing, shelter, healthcare. That's what it means. So are we contributing to the division and supporting their propaganda by turning religion into a boogeyman? Go ahead, John. Yeah, there was a time when governments kind of came into being and, you know, we had, the religion got equal protection, basically. And, and we said, fine, as long, you know, you get tax protection, you're tax exempt, as long as you stay out of politics. They're not staying out of politics. And we need to put a re- an end to the original. We need to put some control over that. And the way to do it is enforce the taxation on churches that get political. There's too much influence. There's too much opportunity for propaganda going one way or the other. And uh, put the tax, start taxing these churches that get into this stuff. Now, on, on the other hand, uh, the bla- the uh, blacks wouldn't have a chance if their religions uh, and churches didn't organize them. So uh, perhaps that kind of nullifies or destroys what I just said. Thank you very much. Yes, I think it does, John. Thank you, John, though. I, I think the one error that you have is this idea that religion and politics should be separate. It's not at all the case. It's never been the case. It's not going to be the case. Religion and politics are essentially the same thing. Religion was the first form of politics, and it remains a political system. And the conservatives are right. This is about justice, or this is about God, to me, represents just rule, metaphor for justice. But for them, they recognize God is the ruler of the universe. God is the ruler of the cosmos. God is the ruler of this. How can it not be political? How can our values and our beliefs not be? How can we not take those into the polling place? How can we not talk about those things? So this idea that we're going to ban religion from politics, we're going to. And, and that's, first of all, the tax code only applies to elections <clears throat> and supporting individual candidates. It doesn't rely on political issues like feeding the hungry, lifting up the lowly, bringing down the powerful. It doesn't apply to fighting for the rights, fighting against immigrants and being a sanctuary church or fighting for immigrants. It doesn't stop the church from engaging in social justice actions. And that's what we need. We need a church that's actually engaged politically in social justice based on the actual gospel, the actual message of the Bible, which is love. And we need to make love a more powerful motivator. And right now, the real powerful motivators are fear, ignorance, and other things like that. Come on in, Rachel. I just want John to know that I agree with him. I agree with you to a certain extent. Blacks are not going to be hurt ever the greatest sin they're committing is using the church. They're using the church dollars politically and they're not always feeding the homeless, okay? And so I agree with John. It's a, it's a sin the way the churches have become. It's not about the word and the mission anymore. The mission has changed for a lot of churches. And the only thing that most churches, especially in the black community, 
you know, sold to the polls, that's automatic. That's just like daylight saving. So it's not going to hurt to get them and, and, and do kind of handcuff and get some kind of accountability with these churches. They're not even churches no more. They're mega churches. And so mega, meaning mega money coming in. And I do think it has caused a problem politically because they're a beast and they can make change too. Right, right. And, and I think, you know, the black church has its own history and may not be able to, may not be able to recognize what white Christians go through when they try to use their faith to organize. And I think absolutely, I think absolutely we have to be using faith. We have to counter the narrative on the right about Christianity. The, the, I don't even think we, you know, in the black church, we don't have a problem with Christianity. When we get to selecting leaders and churches get involved, a lot of us disagree. A mm. lot of us don't agree on, on a lot of stuff that the church won or this candidate or that candidate. We do it and, and go with the masses based on, okay, some, some of what we need in our community. We have a them are going along to get along and we don't even agree on what they're doing because we never feel the trickle down effect of what we just supported and we always do we're always in line we're always in line it doesn't matter with most black people as long as we think we're going to get something trickling down and it never happens that's why I don't, I, I'm an independent. I don't do that stuff anymore. I vote my conscience, my beliefs, and what is affecting my family. And then whoever is in my family and friends cohort, I educate them. I just don't say, oh, do this because I'm doing it. No, I don't do that. Because everybody has their own beliefs and it's not right to condition someone based on something and then they ne it never comes through that's why a lot of kids and black kids don't vote because they don't see it they don't get to feel the effects of change quickly right and the church is a forum to discuss very important issues and should be used that way and if we want to just hand religion over the right just like we want to hand democracy over the right some that's another show, by the way, about some of the propaganda coming out of the left. But I think that the church is a valid and important as institution, and religion is an important and valuable tool as a scripture for reaching people, particularly for reaching the middle of the country. And we can't have a situation where we're not reaching out to the middle of the country using their language and using scripture and using the Bible to reach out to people in the middle of the country, rather than making the Bible the enemy, which will alienate the middle of the country. And one reason why we lose, and even though we can get rid of a wannabe dictator, we can't get rid of the Republicans running for office. Um, Lisa. I'm just real quick. One of the reasons the right wing Christianity kind of got, I think, like a bad rap to some extent is because it was the more extreme right and conservatives that really entered politics in a hardcore way. So the first 
voice and they became kind of a, the biggest voice for Christianity, unfortunately, um, until more recently, because finally I was pushing people during the Obama administration to on the left to speak out more because the extremists were basically acting like they spoke for all Christians and other Christians weren't speaking up and saying, I'm a Christian, even something so simple as I'm a Christian and I disagree. And so they became like the carriers or the messengers of the entire religion. And so the left kind of went to quiet mode. And I think what you're kind of talking about is having a, when it came to Christianity, quiet or uh, concerned mode when it came to Christianity. And what you're talking about is having the left, people who support more left-wing policies, perhaps who are Christian speaking up more and having a bigger voice. And that's good. You know, and I think that I think it is probably would have been good in the 80s even more because a lot of damage has been done. Um, and that's, you know, I mean, I saw in the 80s when they got involved, it turned people off to religion because they they wanted to teach. They fought evolution in schools. They were trying to ban music. I had high school in my high school. They were trying to ban books, you know, all kinds of stuff, you know, and others were just silent. Also, when it comes to the role of religion. In politics, I think you guys have hinted on this, but real quickly, I think there's a difference between churches being engaged in like helping the homeless, feeding the homeless, helping immigrants and things like that, and letting people make their own political decisions versus churches supporting candidates and being more politically active than even maybe being active when it comes to really helping the homeless, really helping immigrants and stuff like that. And it seems like a lot of churches have put more emphasis on the political aspect than the acting aspect. That makes it hard too. And I think that's kind of had a corrupting influence in this whole thing. Yeah, well, I think we have demon-possessed churches out there. But yeah, I think you're you're right. But one of the things is, is that the, when we use the word political, we got to recognize that we're talking about programs for the poor, programs, housing programs. We're talking about working for peace and justice. We're talking about a lot of things. And the whole point is not that we individually or even the church be a social service agency. They're not social service agencies. They're organizing institutions. And they're not going to be service agents. They don't have doctors. They don't have places for people to sleep. They're not social service agencies. So what are they? They're organizing institutions. And one of the reasons why Christians, liberal Christians, don't speak up is because of the negative reaction. I mean, I just, I had a meeting where somebody, because I do a Bible, I do two podcasts, Democracy Under Fire, which you can find on YouTube, and a podcast, and I do a podcast called Bible Study for Progressives. And people automatically dismiss you. I mean, the type of treatment that white Christians get when they try and talk about their faith in a political context is atrocious, really, and and it shouldn't happen. And it's because of the propaganda that's so negative towards the Bible and towards Christianity that we're feeding this fight. We're feeding it. We're not countering it. We're being divided. And we're not just being divided by the right. We're being divided by the left as well. And that's a larger discussion here, but it, it's what's happening. So we've come to the end of our time together today. I'm also my show, Democracy Under Fire. You can find that at, I 
www.tinyurl.com slash democracy under fire video that'll take you to the YouTube page. And you can find the audio versions on any of your podcast apps, Democracy Under Fire, Bible Study for Progressives. We're going to keep you informed, keep you involved. And I want to thank everybody for coming. I enjoyed all the conversation and all the input that, that you had. And I hope it was good for you as well. Every person has to stand and defend voting rights. Voting should be for all people. Voting rights are under attack like we have not seen since the days of Jim Crow. Now is the time to ensure national standards that will protect and expand our access to the ballot. Mr. President, we demand voting rights now. There is no excuse to not pass voting rights reform. All other rights depend on the right to vote. It is the number one issue of our times at this moment. Get this done. What do we want? What do we want? Just over 100 years ago, brave women stood on this very spot with much the same message that we deliver today. Full and equal voting rights for all. Fellas, women are going to lead the way. Stay with us. Follow the message. Keep on, keep it on, and we